This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Now, this is the part of the show where I'd usually tell you all about how we break down the latest news, reviews and previews as regards to the Blues. But as you're no doubt aware, football in the UK has been postponed until at least the first weekend of April in response to the coronavirus outbreak. Instead, in this edition of the show, we'll be looking at the impact of the suspension of the game on Chelsea, how the club have responded so far and what the possible implications are for Chelsea in the coming weeks and months. We'll also talk injuries and meet another cult hero. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello again, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, coming to you live from my box room in sunny Peckham. For obvious reasons, we aren't in the studio today, but we are still going to have a virtual chat about Chelsea. Joining me on the line from their own salubrious surrounds are the Athletics Chelsea experts. Hello, Liam Toomey. Hello. Good day, Simon Johnson. G'day. And how are you doing, Dominic Fifield? Better than Simon Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, let's get to it then. Uh, It seemed likely for a while that COVID-19 would impact on the English football schedule. And on Friday of last week, that finally came to pass, with all elite level football in the country being halted until at least the first weekend of April. That means as well as Saturday's game at Aston Villa, the upcoming fixtures against Bayern Munich in the Champions League and Leicester in the FA Cup have been postponed. The same goes for the matches involving the youth and development teams and the women's team too. I'm told that the main building at Cobham is still open as of Monday morning and there are non-playing staff at work, though the players themselves remain in isolation. Chelsea been at the centre of things after Callum Hudson-Odoi revealed he tested positive for the virus. Uh, Simon, you were the first to break the news that there was an issue at Chelsea as regards coronavirus. What can you tell us about how the club responded to the situation in those early stages? Well, the interesting thing is is that we've got two different cases here. We- Callum Hudson-Odoi was actually um, a a separate situation to the member of staff or the person close to the players that I reported on. Um, Hudson-Odoi reported or certainly told the club he had certain symptoms early in the week, so he'd been away from training anyway. But the story I referred to um, broke on Wednesday night in terms of the issue with the member of staff. And and that was when the club sort of decided that it would be best if um, training was called off and everyone, including sort of press office, the press office, etc., was, was told to stay away from from the men's building and stay at home. And, and of course, since then, on on later in the day on the Thursday, a, a deep clean was was ordered of the of the premises. But later in the day on the Thursday, much to everyone at the club's surprise, because they. They very much assumed that Friday would be back to normal and they'd go in for training and, and that's why they also issued um the the, the sort of the request for, for the press to turn up for the press conference that Hudson Adoy then returned the, the positive test for the coronavirus, so of course everything was called off. But as far as Chelsea concerned, they're they're now in this status quo of 
players at home self-isolating. Uh, Mason Mounts had a wrap across the knuckles for breaking that self-isolation that, that many people have seen. But um, now a lot of Chelsea players are having this difficulty of trying to keep fit whilst this um, situation it continues and it, no one really knows what's going to happen next. Yeah, and for, for anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, Mason Mount was spotted playing five-a-side with, amongst others, West Ham's Declan Rice, his big mate, of course. Uh, Don, we'll get your views shortly on what the wider implications for the Premier League as a whole are. Uh, but Liam, in, in terms of how this is going to affect Chelsea specifically, I, I guess the key things to keep in mind are, are the loss of revenue, the potential fixture congestion, how the players are going to keep fit, and, and what it means for the women's team, the youth team, and, and the non-playing members of staff. It's... Um, it's a mess, basically. It is a huge mess, and there are all sorts of um, implications from this. Um, and I mean, all the things you mentioned. I think the the one consolation for Chelsea is that they're all problems that other clubs will face as well. I mean, the loss of revenue is going to be a Premier League wide problem, um, and the fact that you know Ch- Chelsea won't be staging home games, and maybe their their commercial. Um, revenue might go down as a result as well. That's all things that their rivals will also have to deal with. But we did see from Chelsea's financial accounts last year that they, there are pretty fine margins for them to be a sustainable club uh, at the elite level. And I think that's why you've seen suggestions across Europe recently um, for UEFA to, to suspend financial fair play or you know, or at least do something about this monitoring period because I think it's going to throw Chelsea off. It's going to throw a lot of other clubs off as well. Um, in terms of you know fixture congestion, that's going to be a problem for the Premier League whenever they decide to resume, if they can resume. If they can't resume, then you know Chelsea are fourth in the table as things stand. They would be in the Champions League next year, so it's not not the worst case scenario in that sense. But there are all sorts of other implications as we'll as we'll go on to talk about about you know extending the season potentially past June thirtieth when players' contracts expire and and uh, and and from a fixture perspective in terms of the women's team I mean it, it would be particularly harsh on them if there was any sort of freeze now and an awarding of of trophies based on how things stand because they're a point behind Manchester City in the WSL with a game in hand. Uh, they are the favourites to win that title if the season were to be completed. So it would be particularly harsh on them if, if we can't get things done. But I think Chelsea, along with every other club in, in the Premier League and in Europe right now, are kind of in a holding pattern just trying to figure out the way forward. Do we have any idea what the club have said in terms of the players trying to keep up fitness whilst in self-isolation? And is there any way that that Chelsea can even monitor that. It seems like it'd be quite a difficult thing for them to do. Well, we don't we, we don't have any specifics on how Chelsea are monitoring players at home. I mean, they could always look at Tammy Abraham's Instagram because <laughs> he's been <laughs> posting videos of him on an exercise bike sweating. I think there's a lot of that going on. But it's difficult because you can't even necessarily send, you know, fitness coaches to work with these guys one-on-one because there there is a, a risk of of passing this this virus on even if the person in question is not showing symptoms so it's self-isolation for a reason i think the the plus is that a lot of these players do have big houses they will have home gyms or or fitness apparatus or at least at the very least big gardens i remember a day or two ago watching uh, a video of gabriel jesus sprinting in and out of cones in his own garden 
um, and putting the ball through what looked like a child's net. <laughs> so I think that that's also a possibility, but it's it's certainly not going to be the intensity of Frank Lampard's first team training sessions. And I think that begs the question of when football can be resumed, when we reach a stage where, where maybe the Premier League decides they want to give it another try, will they need to, to give a period of time for these players to have a bit a sort of mini pre-season, if you will, because they will have lost conditioning um, depending on how long this goes on for. Well, Dom, I mean, it's a, a pickle for the for the Premier League and, and Richard Masters in particular, who's been in the job for a matter of weeks and, and he's been handed the ultimate hospital pass, really. Uh, it seems almost impossible that the season is going to resume on the first weekend of April, which is the current plan. What, what do you think is the most likely outcome? Pr- presumably, cancelling the season at this point it, it is very much a last resort. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, the legal implications of, of, of cancelling it would be pretty horrendous and it would open the, the Premier League and the EFL up to all sorts of, of challenges, I would have thought, from from clubs who have committed finances to staying up or or gaining promotion, not, not least. Um, so I think everybody will be hoping and, and believing that the season will be concluded at some stage and they, they will play out these remaining 9-10 fixtures. That's a quarter of the season pretty much still to be played. I mean, it's 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 not as if it's you know a handful of games there's there's a, there's a lot of matches still to be, still to be played out um UEFA for me on tuesday um where they'll confirm the cancellation or the postponement of of euro 2020 um which i think is widely anticipated and presumably will now will take place in 2021 which which might provide some opportunity in the summer potentially to to fill in some fixtures from from this season but you're right I think there's as Liam points out it's not as if we're going to be walking straight back into competitive fixtures even even in the 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 best place scenario in that first weekend in April you know realistically speaking we're probably looking at June at the earliest but we're all guessing that's the problem we're we're all guessing because because these are completely unprecedented situations and I mean, even the government is 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 guessing in in terms of um, you know mass meetings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it's it's just a, a really rather surreal situation, and the, the financial implications are far more serious further down the pyramid than than at clubs like Chelsea. I um, mean, you, you know, you're looking at clubs that, that couldn't potentially play behind closed doors because the revenues from from crowds would wouldn't be there. So, how are they going to pay their players? What what a broadcaster's going to do? I mean, the likes of Sky and BT have, have been selling their packages to provide live sport, and I know that there are people out there who are now cancelling those subscriptions because there is no no live sport to be broadcast. Um, Liam touched upon the contractual situation. I mean, we we all know about players that that, that are out of contract on on June the thirtieth, and there is there is talk about some you know the possibility to extend those those contracts to the end of this current season but but lower down the pyramid what what are the, what about those clubs that, that don't want to extend those those players contracts they're now going to be saddled with extra wages beyond the end of june i mean it's it's a, it's a complete mess um but something that uefa on tuesday and then the premier league and efl presumably later in the week possibly thursday will have to address and and come up with a scenario that that is vaguely acceptable to all parties 
Mm. Well, time will tell whether this season ever gets completed. But for now, the situation will be assessed on a daily basis. Okay, still plenty to come today. Later, we'll meet another court hero. But next, we'll assess Chelsea's lengthy injury list. So Simon and Liam's joint read for The Athletic last week focused on the ever-increasing injury list affecting Chelsea just now. Tammy Abraham, Angolo Kante, Christian Pulisic, Callum Hudson, Adoy Mateo Kovacic all currently receiving treatment and we're yet to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek feature for the first team this season. Uh, Simon, in the piece you mentioned the analysis compiled by PremierInjuries.com which shows Chelsea to have suffered 25 separate injuries this season, that before the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, Despite only Manchester United of the big six clubs having a bigger number of injuries, Frank Lampard not apportioning blame to the medical and physio departments at the club. No, it shouldn't be a a finger-pointing exercise. That would be very self-defeating. But the impression I get is that um, it's certainly behind the scenes something they want to improve um, just generally. Um, not that there's anything to blame in terms of uh, training methods, etc., etc., but just that players, it's one of those things um, that players seem to be breaking down when, as, as far as everyone's concerned, they're, they're fit to return. So it, it's certainly the impression that, that the coaching staff have that, that whenever a player has been deemed ready to return, um, they've picked them. It's as simple as that. And and when they've picked up another injury, it's usually been because of a consequence of something that's happened before and they've suffered a re-injury. It's just been a lot of bad luck this season. Um, But there's no doubt that um, the the impression you get from, from people I speak to at Chelsea is that things have to improve because Chelsea have been suffering this season with so many of their key players out for long periods. And um, Simon's touched upon it there, Liam, but but it's not being laid at the feet of Frank Lampard, is it? Because, as you pointed out in the piece, he, he inherited a lot of these injury problems when he took over, uh, Kante and Rudiger being the, the prime examples of that. Yeah, there's been a big hangover from last year. And, of course, we also had Reese James injuring his ankle on, on international duty, um, Willian suffering a problem, while representing Brazil at the Copa America. So there's there's been a lot. There were about four or five, really, that came into this season. And, and when you look at the problems that, that Callum hudson Adoin and N'Golo Kante have had since, they are considered at Chelsea to be um, kind of knock-on effects of those issues. Now, clearly, there have been a lot of other injuries that have happened more in isolation this year. Um, but they don't necessarily mark Chelsea statistically as an outlier um, among the other top Premier League clubs, among the other clubs that have European competitions and, and, and a similar number of games. So I think there there isn't, in terms of the broader pattern, there isn't a ton to be concerned about. Chelsea have traditionally had an excellent injury record. Uh, they've had the best of all the traditional big six in, in three of the last five seasons, including the last two times that they won the Premier League title in terms of number of injuries and days lost to injury and most of those staff are still in place you know Chris Jones has been there for most of that time I know he went briefly with Lampard to Derby and then back again but Paco Bioska the medical director has been there since 2011 Um, Lampard brought in a couple of people for this season Adam Burrow strength and conditioning coach has come in Andy Casper the sports nutritionist so there, there, there hasn't been a lot of change and I think Chelsea are confident in the in the the team that they have 
and the general approach they have to injury prevention and management. But sometimes you can have rougher seasons than others, particularly when you may be relying on young players that aren't used to this kind of physical workload. Dom, you've been outspoken on the overload players suffer over the Christmas period. Is the only solution to this, because it's not just a Chelsea issue, to, to improve or, or expand even the winter break? I suspect that's what medical departments would argue. Um, I mean, the, the, the research for that for that piece at the turn of the year was that that was a steer that I was getting from from Premier League medical departments that, that, that there was too much strain being put on their players over the festive period, um, and it was forcing managers to pick players that weren't ready for the for the workload. Um, you know, people were getting rushed back from hamstring injuries, etc. It was no massive surprise that they. They broke down again. It didn't always happen in the first game back. It happened sometimes in the second second match back. You know, just as you think the player is getting back into some kind of rhythm again, it catches up with them. Um, and that, that is something that the, the Premier League will have to deal with. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're talking about this at a time where there's a potential of, of, of two seasons running almost simultaneously into each other, you know, on the back of the coronavirus. So it's difficult to predict where that will go. Um, but... Look, it's an it's definitely an issue. I, I agree with Liam, and I think in in Chelsea's case in particular, that there's an awful lot of strain being put on uh, a, a, a lot of young players who aren't used to to playing Premier League, let alone playing the number of fixtures that Chelsea have got. And although they've got a relatively deep squad strength um, compared to a lot of other Premier League clubs, they probably don't in terms of the elite clubs that are, that are asked to, to play Champions League and Europa League football all the time. So. The, the sort of sheer number of injuries that Chelsea have picked up is probably inevitable, just given the the fixture overload that they've got. Um, and I actually think that Chelsea have done pretty well to, to manage it in the way they have. They've been unfortunate. Some key players have broken down, but a lot of those were legacies of, of last season and looking particularly at N'Golo Conte. Well, it's a fascinating piece. I know a lot of background work went into it, so do check it out over on The Athletic. OK, still plenty to come in this edition of Straight Out of Cobham. We'll answer your questions next. Remember, you can get in touch with the show at any time by tweeting me at Matt Davis Adams. Plenty of you have done that this week, and it's reassuring to know in these topsy-turvy times we can still rely on people asking us questions about transfers. Uh, that's what Bees has done. He wants to know if transfer negotiations are still continuing, and specifically, how likely is it Jude Bellingham will be coming to Chelsea, and what efforts have the club made to persuade him? Simon, we know that he was uh, spotted at Carrington being wooed by Sir Alex Ferguson, amongst others. He's also been linked with Dortmund. Is Bellingham somebody who's come on Chelsea's radar? Yeah, I believe so. But I think Chelsea are very much fighting a, a losing battle on this one. Um, it's very much um, between Dortmund and, and Manchester United. Um, Chelsea, of course, have the ability to to to, to show and, and prove that they are willing to, to give youth a chance. And, and that's their main argument. But I think um, the, the very sort of public... Um, display of of Bellingham and his family being pictured at Carrington a few days ago, um, sort of certainly gave a very strong indication of where United's intentions lie. And of course, Sir Alex Ferguson was uh, rolled out to to lay, lay on the charm offensive. But Borussia Dortmund are feeling very confident themselves because, of course, they've got a rich history. They can point to Jaden Sancho's success in the Bundesliga. As, as a real indication of what they can do for Bellingham's career. So, yes, look, Chelsea would love a player like him, but 
I think the price um, as well might be quite a uh, quite a big factor in this, and and I think that Chelsea may sort of have to prioritise other areas and and will miss out eventually. A pertinent question here from Lewis, who asks: Are Chelsea worried about the prospect of this season running into the summer with players such as Giroud, Willian, and Pedro all out of contract? Can these contracts be temporarily extended? Or are we a bit stumped? Liam, I know this is something you've been looking at. I, I guess, it, is it going to be some sort of universal agreement across the Premier League about about situations for, for players coming out of contract? Or is it another thing that we just don't know yet? Well, we we don't know yet. But I think if there is an arrangement, it would have to be beyond the Premier League. It would have to be at FIFA level. Because FIFA rules are that all football contracts have to run until June 30th of the following year at a minimum. You can't even sign really six-month contracts. You know, you, those only exist as loans. You can't you can't sign someone permanently for, for that short period of time. So I think there would have to be um, a FIFA agreement to give clubs the opportunity to extend contracts. But then, of course, you run into the problem of you need the players to agree to that as well. You know, if it, if it gets to July 1st and Olivier Giroud, Willian and Pedro are free agents, are they actually hurting their own ability to get a, a good next contract by agreeing to stay at Chelsea for another month, another two months to complete the season? Um, it, it's a really, really tricky one. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult to find a a solution that satisfies all parties because I think players and their agents will, will not want to give clubs a, an, an easy out if it comes at the cost of their own ability to, to get long-term security, whether it's at that club or at another club. And we've already seen Williams looking for another three years at Chelsea or elsewhere. If he can't get that at Chelsea, I don't see why he'd necessarily agree to stick around for another month or two if there are other clubs interested in him. Just one of the many problems facing clubs as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, finally, Matt, not me, a different one, says, uh, Jorginho, build the team around him or get rid. If the former, should we let go in the DM position, assuming Ampadu returns next season and we don't loan out Gilmore? Uh, Dom, has Jorginho done himself more harm than good in recent weeks but just by accumulating so many cards, getting suspended at the wrong time, etc.? Uh, and the fact that Gilmore's come in, it, it does mean that his position seems a, a little more vulnerable than it did, say, a month ago. Yeah, possibly. He's about he's, he's basically sitting out the longest suspension in Chelsea's history, isn't he? He's, <laughs> I mean, depending on when they actually end up playing again. Um, I think I still think Frank Lampard values Jorginho's leadership abilities out on the pitch. Um, he he has been he has been made to look less progressive in terms of his passing by Gilmore's initial impact uh, since breaking into the team in the last few games but i think there's also an understanding that Gilmore is young uh, there will be inconsistency in his performances inevitably when the season re- resumes he can't be relied upon yet at 19 um to, to provide the sort of same level of consistency as, as a Jorginho might do with, with his old, older head on his shoulders. So I, I think I think he, he will still be valued, but but maybe maybe Jorginho will look at the impact that, that Gilmore has made and you'd like to think that maybe he he will appreciate that being slightly more progressive has benefited Chelsea and they've been more proactive in the last few matches. They've, they've looked a better team as a result of having a forward thinker at the base of that midfield. 
maybe Jorginho has to adapt his own game to to reflect that in in, in the future. And that, you know, when we're talking about his future at, at the club, I suppose it would also depend on what what offers ever came in for him, whether those would would meet Chelsea's valuations of his services. And you know, Chelsea do tend to to value their players quite highly. We saw that with the likes of Batshuayi over over January and um, being priced out of the market effectively. So I suspect that Chelsea would, if they ever looked to, to sell Jorginho, they would, they would seek a, a substantial fee for his services, which might price quite a few clubs out, particularly those back in Italy. So I suspect he will, his future will remain at the club, but but maybe he has to adapt his game to to, to match Chelsea's progressive thinking. Good stuff. Okay, we're almost out of time for today, but before we go, let's say hello to another cult hero. Robin Duff, it'll back here. Robin, brilliantly done. Oh, what a goal. What a goal. Ian Robin and Damien Duff get their act together spectacularly. And Robin gives Chelsea the lead here. This week's cult hero is Ian Robin. We've picked the Flying Dutchman because Chelsea was supposed to be playing Bayern Munich this week and Robin, of course, played for both clubs. He joined Chelsea as a 20-year-old in 2004 from PSV Eindhoven for a bargain fee of £12 million. In his three seasons at the club, Robin played 106 times, scoring 19 goals and winning two Premier League titles, the FA Cup and two League Cups before leaving for Real Madrid. Chelsea getting double what they paid for him in terms of a transfer fee. Uh, Dom, this was around the time I believe when you were covering Chelsea regularly are those numbers that I read out in terms of goals and games are a bit underwhelming but he was a vital cog in that first Mourinho machine yeah and it was a I know we always have this the impression that Mourinho's teams are dour but actually when they had Robin and I think it was Duff flying at, at, at players on the flanks they were they were thrilling to watch they had they were good expansive Football and 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 yeah, it was it was exciting to watch and and Robin was was really a part of that. Um, weirdly, I I actually only started covering Chelsea full time in two thousand and seven, and so my my first experience of Arjen Robin was a rather grumpy, sulky presence on a pre season tour of the United States um, when it was already clear that he was quite keen on moving to Real Madrid. Um, and indeed, his, I think his father, who was acting as his agent at the time, his father Hans, was 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 making it very obvious that the the money that Chelsea could put on the table for him um, to stay was, was still significantly less than what Real were willing to pay him on a weekly wage. But but he he still had he was a, a fantastic player in his pomp. Um, and and when it came to Chelsea, he was actually almost it reflected the new Chelsea that. When he signed uh, Manchester United in much the same way that we were just talking about Jude Bellingham, um, Ferguson had, had had made a real play to to, to bring Robin to to Manchester United. Um, he was all set to go there, and it, I think their bid was eventually rejected by PSV at the time. But but um, Roman Abramovich swanned in and 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 stole him from from underneath United's noses and and that that was a real statement of intent this is a, we are new players uh, in this market and we're we're going to make a a big impression here and and yeah Robin Robin played a significant role in those in those Premier League titles and and in establishing Chelsea as a major force back in English football Liam we mentioned Jose Mourinho there I'm fascinated by how he treated Robin uh, an oft injured player but Jose seemed to be okay with that and in a way that he isn't these days uh, hello Tangi and Don Bailey uh, any theory as to why his attitude was different 
back in those days to, to how it appears to be in 2020 as, as regards injured players? Well, I think Mourinho is a less patient individual generally than he was uh, than than he was back then. But I, I do think he lost he lost patience with with Robin's um, phys- physical limitations, shall we say, uh, towards the end of Robin's time at Chelsea. I think there was a sense that Mourinho wasn't necessarily uh, too too devastated to see him leave, given that he he was unavailable so frequently but I think the the reason why he was willing to overlook it at least initially is because Robin was such a dazzling talent and it was immediately obvious when he came into the team in that 04-05 season um, that he had the potential to be the best player in the league and I think for for three I think it was about three months of that first title winning season he really lit up English football in tandem with Damien Duff and other person we talked about in this cult hero series um they really really worked well together and added a a new devastating attacking dimension onto the phenomenal defensive base that Mourinho had built that team on and it really did look like he he was destined to be not just a, a Chelsea legend but I think a Premier League legend and then Aaron McQuainer's tackle uh slightly Pretty, pretty dirty tackle in that in that Blackburn away game, that title-winning season sidelined him for for a good few months, and and he never quite got that that consistent rhythm back. He still had plenty of dazzling moments, but I think over time Mourinho maybe lost a bit more patience with him because we we know historically how little patience Mourinho has with players who who spend too long with the physios. Uh, Simon, am I being mean by suggesting that Robin's most significant contribution to Chelsea history was missing a penalty in the 2012 Champions <laughs> League final? Yeah, yeah a bit mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think um, that was obviously the, the the final nail. The sad thing was is that a lot of Chelsea fans also seemed to um, fall out of love with him as well because of his tendency to... Uh, let's just say, look a bit frail or perhaps not look so keen to get, uh, for want of a better phrase, get his foot in, um, that that he was a bit of a lightweight when it came to the physical side of things. But I, I just think that that, that first season um, was almost like the story of Robin's Chelsea career. Um, he started late because of injury. He then was incredibly exciting, only to get injured again. So... It was always a sort of a, a thing with highs and lows with him. And you you do wonder whether that injury um, experience that he had in his first season um, did get to him mentally because he certainly came back after the, the, the injury that Liam refers to, the Mokwena tackle, that he, he did look a, li- a little bit more um, scared to, to be quite the same player he was in, in the few months before that, where... He was the X factor. He was the player that the opposition defences were scared of, and he never really recaptured quite that that form again until he could argue he, he left for Real Madrid. But he speaks to a lot of people who watched Robin in that time, and he is one of the best players Chelsea ever sold um, because the career he's had since then, particularly at Bayern Munich, um, has made him one of the best players in, in recent memory. Ian Robin, this week's Court Hero. We'll have another one same time next week. 
Okay, that's just about it for this week's show. Uh, the plan is to continue bringing you a new episode every week, regardless of the situation with coronavirus. We'll get creative looking at the season so far and other best of style content, but we'll need your help. So if there's a particular aspect of Chelsea Football Club, past, present or future that you'd like to discuss, do let us know by tweeting me at Matt Davis Adams. You can also use the hashtag straight out of Cobham. Also, the Athletics writers have unlocked their favourite articles, so they're free to read even if you aren't a subscriber. Uh, Dom, your piece looks at the fascinating setup at Brentford, right? Yeah, the, another West London football club, but not Chelsea. Um, yeah, amazing setup they've got there. Uh, very innovative thinking. Um, abandoned their academy and, and have now got this B team that is flourishing with a games program that, uh, that includes games against against Chelsea behind closed doors, amongst other clubs but takes them around the world i was lucky enough to go to to france to watch them play you and down to the bordeaux in january um and it is providing a platform for these guys to to make professional careers wonderful pronunciation of, uh, of bordeaux there i think we all enjoyed that um liam what have you unlocked so i did a big big interview with branislav ivanovic a couple of months ago basically going season by season through his Chelsea career. Uh, it was really good to get his memories of, of all the managers, all the all the legends that he played with and, and worked for. Uh, and in particular, it was particularly intriguing to hear the role that Roman Abramovich played in ensuring that his Chelsea career didn't end before it had even really begun. So um, be sure to check that one out. It's It's free for the next two days. Okay, chaps. Well, thanks for your company today, you too, listener. Remember, you can get this and all the other fine podcasts from The Athletics without ads by listening through The Athletic app. We'll catch up with you again next time. From Dom, from Liam, from Simon and myself, it's bye for now. Mm-hmm.